God, we love you. We give you praise. We give you thanks for all that you are and all that you do. God, we are grateful to be in your presence again this morning. Grateful to be able to come together in this community and just worship and open up your word and dive in and hear what you have to say to us. God, would we be, would we be formed and stretched by your word this morning? God, this morning we pray as we pray every week that you would speak through me, that it would not be my words that are coming out of my mouth, but they would be your words for your people on your day. God, no one came to hear from Pastor Chris today. We all came to hear a word from you. God, would we just leave here knowing that we have met with you? Would you open up our hearts and minds to hear a word directly from you this morning? God, we love you. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we are uh, actually, I think, today in week 14 of our series, More Than a Feeling. Uh, this is kind of part two, uh, so we're, we're definitely part two of this series. The first eight weeks of the series, uh, we talked about what we believe and why we believe it. Uh, why what we believe is based on much more than just a feeling. What we believe about God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the church and the Bible and ourselves as followers and what we believe about faith, what we believe about eternity. We talked about all of those things uh, and this, that was really part one. Part two is if this really is what we believe, if, if we believe what we say we believe, then how then should we live? What are some practices that we should have in our lives that just speak to the fact that we believe, that these beliefs drive our life, that, that the things that drive our lives is not feelings. We live in a, in a post-truth culture. We live in a place where, where everybody has their own truth and everybody has their own thing that they follow. And as long as it's true for you, it's, it's true. Right? But we, our lives are based on so much more than that. Our lives are based on more than just a feeling. Our lives are based on the truth that we find in Scripture. And so uh, this part two, we've been talking about some of the practices that we have as believers. Practices like prayer and reading the Bible. Practices like being a part of a community, of this community. Being a part of the church. What does God talk about? How are we supposed to be involved in the church? We've talked about worship and we've talked about discipleship. This morning, uh, I want to dive into yet another thing. This is kind of one of the more uh, uh, like less talked about practices that we have as believers. It's one of the more uncomfortable talks that we have to have as believers. It's something that we don't like to talk about. It's something called accountability. Accountability and discipline. Biblically speaking, these are things that need to be in our lives. These are practices that need to be in the lives of believers. Holding each other accountable. I mean, God's word, again, goes against the grain of society here, because really, we live in, uh, in a pretty, pretty incredible live and let live kind of culture. You do your thing, I'll do mine, we'll just all get along. That's kind of our, our culture in a nutshell, right there. That, that one phrase could probably uh, describe our culture. In the history books, that might be one of the phrases uh, that describes our culture here in 2019 America. You do your thing, I'll do mine. We're in a live and let live kind of culture. This live and let live kind of culture has made its way into the church a little bit to where a lot of times we see other believers and we see them uh, continually struggling with something in their life and, and kind of in, in an unrepentant way, just going to, I'm going to do this, I know it's wrong, I know I shouldn't be doing it, I'm going to keep doing this thing over here because it's not that bad. And then in the church what we have is we have a bunch of people who sometimes say, that's, that's their problem. 
That's their issue. They're not going to change. And so we just kind of, we leave it alone. When someone is in sin, we just kind of leave them there. We kind of let them be. It's a live and let live kind of culture. You've heard me talk about the myth of a private faith before. This myth of, you know, I can, uh, my faith is just between me and God. And that, that phrase just sounds so biblical and so spiritual, but it's, it's just not, it's not biblical. Right? Our, our faith is not just between us and God. Our faith is meant to be visible. It's meant to be played out in our lives, lived out in our lives. And so this, this kind of live and let live culture that we have uh, that's kind of made its way into some churches is, is not consistent with this. We have to be able to hold each other accountability. I, I, I've been thinking about this in my own life. If I was caught in something, if I was caught in a sin that was going to destroy my life and my marriage and, and just everything about my life, the last thing that I would want to happen is for the people who say they love me to say, that's your own thing. And I want believers, I want you, if you love me, and, and this is hopefully true for you as well, to be able to come to me and say, hey, Pastor Chris, this thing that you've got going on in your life, this, this needs to change. This is sin. You need to walk away from this. You need to, you need to turn from this. You need to turn to what God has for your life. Now, sometimes we're just really uncomfortable with doing that. You know, a couple of weeks ago, we talked about community and how we love and we care for each other. We, there's a lot of one another's, just even in Romans chapter 12 that we talked about. Uh, and even all throughout Scripture, there are so many one another's, how to treat one another. One of the ways that we love one another and encourage one another in the church, one of the ways that we love each other well, is by keeping each other accountability. We care for each other in the church. I think uh, one of the greatest ways we can love each other in the church is by holding each other accountable. We see that uh, growing, I think we'll see today as we keep talking, that growing into the likeness of Christ necessarily requires discipline and accountability. We talk about this in our Connect Week a lot of times. We were not meant to do this alone. You weren't. You were meant to have people walking along beside you. And not just to say, not just to like be yes men beside you, but the people walking beside you need to be the kind of people that can say, look, this is wrong. You need to walk away from this. You need to turn away from this. This is not God's plan for your life. So I want to I talk about that this week. Because this, this accountability, this discipline is, is just even foundational in our relationship with God. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 verse 6 says that God uh, disciplines those that he loves. Right? He disciplines those that he loves. I think you and I can be glad this morning that God disciplines those he loves, that he does not just leave us in our sin. He does not just leave us walking away from him. He doesn't say, that's your deal. Uh, he, he went so far as to send his son to earth to die for you, to die for me, so that we might be back in a right relationship with him. This is the whole foundation of our faith. This is the gospel, that God does not leave us in our sin, that God calls us out of it and into something new, into something right into something that is him this is this is the foundation of the gospel so how how do we love one another how do we how do we keep one another accountable i think here's a sentence that i just want to just throw out there and just stick it in your minds for today loving one another in the church 
includes sharing responsibility for one another's holiness in our lives. Loving one another in the church includes sharing responsibility for one another's holiness in our lives. This, again, we go back to this myth of a private faith, and it's just not, it's not right. And now this is a loaded sentence, right? There's a, there's a lot that's packed into this sentence. We're going to unpack this sentence today. We're going to do that by going to Galatians chapter 6, uh, starting at verse 1. Galatians chapter 6, if you're following along in your pew Bibles, on page 1004. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, and we will just start at verse 1. We're going to read 1 through 10 this morning, and we'll, we'll just unpack as we go. Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they are, not, they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, whom the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit, let the from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Verse 1 here, I think, speaks entirely to what we're talking about this morning about holding one another accountable in the church, being, coming alongside one another and pushing each other on. And even just this, again, I'll just say the sentence and then we'll start unpacking. Loving one another in the church involves sharing responsibility for one another's holiness. Let's just go through this, just this first first. I mean, he, he, he starts here, brothers and sisters. And just, just to remind you, we're family. This community that we talked about a couple weeks ago, we talked about how we belong to each other, that we, we need each other, that we are family. It just Even Paul, in this letter, hey, just reminder, brothers and sisters, we're, we're family. We belong to each other. That We're all in this together. Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin. Now, this is kind of misleading because immediately what you think of when you say caught in a sin is you think like caught red-handed. Someone caught someone doing something. It's not the connotation that this is here. This is like if someone is caught slash trapped in a sin. If someone is in a sin and is not repenting of this sin. If someone is in a sin and refuses to come out of it, not just if you've caught someone in the act of a sin, that probably works here too, but really the word here is if someone is caught in a sin, if someone is trapped in a sin, if someone is kind of uh, just sucked into this and maybe they don't realize it, maybe they do, but they're not repenting. That's kind of the connotation here that Paul is talking about in Galatians 6 here. If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit. Now, what is this talking about? Go back just like 
a half of a page to the end of Galatians chapter 5, we talk about walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. If we live by the Spirit, you who are, uh, what does he say? You who live by the Spirit, which he has just unpacked pretty clearly for us, should restore that person gently. Should restore that person. Should, should bring them out of where they are and into what God has for them. Should restore that person gently. Not out of pride. I know it's not out of pride because in verse 3, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Don't be prideful as we're going and bringing people out of a sin that they are in. It's not out of pride, but it's also not out of self-righteousness. Uh, even just following this, be, but watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Don't go in there just thinking, you know, having kind of a Messiah complex of gonna, I'm going to go and save this person. I'm going to go and reach this person. They're caught in this. It's so wrong. I don't understand why they do this. And then we just go in there and we start talking to them. We start bringing them out, and all of a sudden we find ourselves struggling with the same thing that they've struggled with. I've seen it over and over again in ministry. People kind of have this white knight approach of just going in and trying to just speak truth. And you have this, uh, a while back, there was this phrase that just kept going around in our church. Not this church, different church, just to preface that. Uh, they would say, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. And really what that meant was, I'm going to tell you what I think. I'm not going to do anything about it, but I'm going to tell you what I think. <laughs> because I love you. No. That's, that's not what it is. That's, that's not speaking the truth in love, just going and ripping on someone just because they're doing something wrong. If, if you're not willing to come beside them and help them out of this, don't bother speaking the truth in love and just to bring them down. That's all you're doing. Right, this, this whole, there was just this, there was, it was honestly just a phrase that, that we that had, had to call people out of, speaking the truth in love. And then we just, just, talk crap about each other. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not what speaking the truth in love is all about. That's not what it's about. He's saying, if someone is caught here in a sin, if someone that we know that is in the church, remember, there's this phrase in this sentence, in the church, one of us, if someone here in the church is caught in a sin, is trapped in a sin, is in a sin that they're not repentant of, that they refuse to get out of. Maybe they enjoy what they're doing. Maybe they just feel like this isn't that bad. This isn't, this isn't against what God has for me. And we go in and we call them out of that. We need to do this in gentleness, not out of pride, not out of self-righteousness, but gently bring them out. This is what Paul is saying here. We need to bring them out gently. When they're unrepentant, it's our responsibility to say, this is sin. Come back. Come out of this. Come back to what God has for you. This is one of the most important things, most important practices that you and I can have as believers, as people who claim Christ, as people who, who say that we're a part of this community called the church. This is one of the most important things that we can do for each other is to not just call each other out just to call each other out, but to call each other out out of love and to walk with them back into what God has for them. You know how I know this is one of the most important things? Because Jesus talks about this. 
Jesus uses the word two times in the Gospel of Matthew. The first time he uses the word church. Did I say the word church? Jesus uses the word church two times in, in the book of Matthew. I think I said something else earlier. The first time he says this is in Matthew chapter 16. He's talking to Peter. He asks Peter, who do you say that I am? And Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. And Jesus says, Peter, on this rock, I will build my church. Two chapters later, in Matthew chapter 18, is the next time that we hear Jesus talk about the church. The only other time that we hear Jesus talk about the church. Just go there with me. Matthew chapter 18, uh, this this is what Jesus says about the church. Starting at verse 15. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen to you, if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, Treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two or three, that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Only other time Jesus talks about the church, and it's in this regard talking about accountability and discipline within it. Talking about accountability and discipline within the church. Now, I want you to understand this. Even though we don't talk about this very often, this is not like number 100 and 101 on the list of things to do for believers. This is, this is right up there at the top. Jesus finds it important enough to talk to his disciples about this one thing about keeping each other accountable, about, about discipline each other, we, about discipline within the church. If we, really, if we really believe what we say we believe, then this has to be a practice that we have personally and in the church. This practice of keeping each other accountable, this practice of, of, of kind of bringing each other into discipline. Now, really, there's kind of two kinds of discipline. There is a formative discipline or a formative accountability. I don't have this in my notes, but here we go. Or there's a formative accountability. Or each and every time we get together on Sunday, Wednesday, Thursday, small group, Tuesday, small group, whenever we get together and we open up the word, there's kind of a a formative discipline that happens where the word speaks to us and shapes us and forms us. There's this kind of formative discipline that happens whenever we open the word, whether it be in community or personally, like we talked about in the discipleship week. What we talked about in discipleship week just three weeks ago is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about kind of a formative correction. That when we read scripture, it's calling us out of something into something new. We're being formed by the word. There's also a, a corrective discipline. 
where we're, we're out of sorts. We are not living the way that God is calling us to live. And because of that, we need to be called out of it. Now, that can happen in Scripture. That can happen in personal discipleship. That can happen in group discipleship, as we'll talk about in a second. This, this can happen anywhere, but it's about calling each other out, calling someone out of the way that they're living and into the way that God would have them to live. Now, this is not easy. Right? And no one, none of us really want to do this with our peers. None of us want to walk up to someone that we know in the church, that we love in the church, and say, hey, look, I don't like the way you're living. Hey, look, Scripture tells us that we shouldn't live like this, and yet I see this in your life. None of us necessarily want to do that, but it is necessary. It's one of the ways that we love each other in the church is by looking at each other and saying, look, I want to call you out of this. Look, I want to bring you in to what God has for you. This, as this way that you are living in Scripture is called sin. Let's not do this. So what is the process that we have? What is the process that Jesus gives us to do this? Because he doesn't just say, hey, discipline one another. He doesn't just say, hey, call each other out. No, he gives us a, a pretty clear process, even here in this Matthew chapter 18 passage, about how to go about this, this process of accountability and discipline. Here's the first step. We go <clears throat> for private correction. Private, privately. If your brother or sister sins, brother or sister sins, now some translations say against you, that's not bad. It's just, this is one of those discrepancies in manuscripts. There are some discrepancies in, in old manuscripts uh, where there's a lot of different places where manuscripts say one thing, other manuscripts don't have them. A lot of the times, they're not big deals. This one is not a big deal. If your brother or sister sins, oh man, if your brother or sister sins against you, some, some, say, some say it's not against you. If, if a brother or sister sins, Go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. Just between the two of you. If, you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, well, keep going. If a brother or sister sins, go to them, point out their fault. Privately, just between the two of you. This is where 95% of biblical correction and accountability happens in one-on-one -on -one relationships with people. As we connect, as we build relationship with each other, as the walls come down between us, we're able to speak into each other's lives in these ways to where we begin to listen to each other. Now, if, if Jordan comes up to me and says, Pastor Chris, hey, look, uh, I've been reading Scripture, and it says this in this passage and yet I see you living this way I'm close enough with Jordan or I'm just going to say I super appreciate you coming to me I needed that I needed you to come to me until I didn't see that in myself I didn't see what you're saying but now that you pointed out I, I, I see that now, there is some truth to this. Matthew chapter 7, just you know, 11 chapters earlier, Jesus talks about don't go and point out someone else's sin. When you have a, when you have a, don't, don't go and point out someone else's speck in their eye when you have a log in your own, right? That's what we're talking about here. When he says go gently, don't go out of pride. Don't go because you think you're better than the other person. 
Don't go out of self-righteousness. Go, go gently and restore this person. You know, there's, some, there's words that we say to each other when we love each other that don't sound harsh, that don't sound like, I'm, I'm telling you this because I'm better than you. <laughs> this is not the way that we go about this. We go about this in love. We speak, uh, we speak truth in love. That's what we do. But in the right way. Right, we go to each other and we say, hey, look, this, this, is, this is what I see. And this is not just about something that, that we don't like. Hey, I don't like that you're doing this in your life. I want to call you out of that. I, I want to be clear. What Jesus is talking about, what Galatians is talking about here is biblical sin. When you see someone in the church who is struggling with something we find in Scripture that Scripture says is wrong. Not just, hey, I don't like that. I don't like what you're doing with your life. Is it sin? Is it biblical sin? Then let's go. Let's go talk. But do it quietly. Do it out of love for each other. It takes a relationship. I mean, there have been guys in my life growing up that were this to me. That were close enough to me to be able to say, Chris, dude, like, this is wrong. The way that you're living here, this anger that you have inside of you, this... This, these temptations that you're falling into, these are not right. And not only do I want to call you out of it, I want to walk with you through these things because I want you to be the man that God is creating you to be. I want you to be the person that God is creating you to be. There have been men in my life that have done this. I think it's so important for us. And there's people who have, who have seen me at my worst, and maybe they've seen you at your worst, and they've called you out of it. Uh, just be thankful for those people in your life. Be thankful for the people that have called you out of something. And just remember, like, this is our responsibility as well in the church. Now, there's a side note here, because another reason it's good to do it privately is because sometimes we just don't have all the information. Sometimes we go to someone privately and say, hey, this is what I'm seeing in your life. This is, what I'm, this is the way I'm seeing you living. This is the way this is happening. And they say, hold on a second. Or we go to them and say, hey, I heard, you were, I heard you were living this way. And they say, hold on, no, no, no. That is not true. That's why we don't just go out and immediately just blast them all over social media and everything. Like, hey, this, look at this person. Now, can you imagine? Can you, can you believe this is going on? No, go to them privately. Handle it privately. This is so huge. I think, like I said, I think 95% of restoration happens in this kind of relationship, in a one-on-one kind of relationship. That's always been the way that I've been restored, is when people come in and talk to me one-on-one. I promise you, when people skip this step, it does more damage to push people away than it does to bring them back in. When people feel like, you know, you just went and got like a group of four or five people and you're going to go talk to this person about something they're doing wrong, they just feel ganged up on, I guarantee you, you're pushing them farther away than you're bringing them in. The very first step is the most important step. One-on-one. Do it privately. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. He keeps going here. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If a private conversation does not work, if this person who is 
caught in sin, trapped in sin, refuses to repent, is still the same way even after they, you have gone to them and spoken with them. If you have a feeling like they, they understand what they're doing is wrong and they're just not going to change. Then we go to small groups. Bring two or three people along with you. Two or three specifically believers along with you. To go with you and say, look, this, this needs to change. We're worried about you. We're worried about what you're doing with your life. We're worried about, you know, we've, we've had this conversation before. I understand, like, you're just, you're just not wanting to come out of this. You're not wanting to repent. We're worried about you. You take other believers with you, and you, out of love, and, and you're gentle with them, and you say, look, this is, this is wrong. I think at this point, we're probably up to about 99% of all restoration happens within these two things. He keeps going. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. That just, and that just sounds so harsh. <laughs> it just sounds like, if they still don't listen, tell it to the church. Now, am I going to give you a microphone and have you up here calling people out? No. That's not going to happen. But tell it to the church. Tell it to the leaders of the church. Have the leaders of the church go talk to this person. Have the leaders of the church be praying for this person. Have the leaders of the church understand what is going on so we can all come alongside this person and trust that the leaders of the church know what they're doing enough to not let it just spread like wildfire, but so that we can all come in alongside this person and restore them. Restore them gently. Not through a megaphone or a microphone, <laughs> but to restore them gently. But he keeps going. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. This is what we don't like to hear. If someone is living in sin, if someone is unrepentant, understands I'm living this way, understands I want to live this way and I know it's wrong. I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to listen to my small group. I'm not going to listen to my pastor and the leadership of the church. I'm not going to listen to any of that. It says treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. Treat them like a non-believer. Treat them as if they weren't a part of the church. A little harsh, right? But here's why this is important. Why, why would we do something like this? Why would, we, why would we treat someone else like this? Why would we treat someone like they're, like they're not a part of it? I think for three reasons. First of all, we do all of this, and not just talking about this last step, but all of this, all of the accountability and all of the discipline that we've been talking about we do it, first of all, for the purity of the church. That this church, as the body of Christ, remain pure, remain wise, remain a mature image of Jesus Christ to the world. Because there are plenty of people in the world who call themselves Christians. Some even go to church who are 
don't want to say ruining, but they are definitely doing some damage to the witness of the church by the way that they live their lives. Because they claim the name of Jesus. And they tell people they go to church. Yet the way they live their lives is not an example of what living for Christ looks like. They are not maturing into the image of Christ. And because of that, what we have is people who look into the church and they say, if that's what it looks like to be a Christian, I don't need that. I don't want that. Their life doesn't look that much different than my Christian friends. So if that's what it means to be a Christian, then call me a Christian. (laughs) If that's what it means, I don't need it. You know, and so we have to, the, the purity of the church is at stake. Also, the reason that we do this is because of the salvation of the individual. The salvation of this individual is at stake. Right, we know when someone is unrepentant, when someone is, is just walking away from God, we believe in the Nazarene denomination that someone can walk away. We're not a once saved, always saved people. People can, can choose to walk away from God, can choose to, to leave it all behind and say, you know what? I, I don't believe anymore. I'm not going to live the way that God calls me to live. I'm not going to do this. We believe that their salvation is at stake. So it's on us as the church to call those people out and to say, look, you're living in this way that the Scripture talks about here that is wrong. You're living in a way that Scripture calls sin. You're living in a way, you're, you're unrepentant right now. You need to come back. I want to bring you back into what God has for you. We do it for the, for the purity of the church. We do it for the salvation of the person. We do it for the glory of God. Amen. That through all of this, God would be glorified. Amen. Now, this is not easy. And it's not all that fun. But it's important. It's not comfortable to walk up to someone in the church that you love and say, look, I'm concerned. I'm concerned about this way that you're living. I'm concerned about this piece of your life that you're not willing to give up. I'm concerned about this. But here's the thing. To be able to even start this conversation, we need to make sure that our hearts are in the right spot. Because the worst thing that you want to happen, the worst thing that could happen in this this instance is to walk up to someone and say, hey, listen, I see this in your life and I'm concerned about it. And for that person to be able to turn around and say, who are you to talk about that? Look at all these things that you're struggling with. How dare you talk to me about how I'm living in this one aspect of my life? Because guess what we've just done? Instead of restoring them gently, we have just driven a wedge. And it takes more work to get rid of a wedge than it does just to to start the whole thing in the right spirit in the first place. I've known more people that have left the church because of people in the church than people that don't believe because of people in the church. 
Our responsibility, a practice that we have to have as people who believe what we say we believe, is keeping each other accountable, keeping each other disciplined for the glory of God. Amen. That God might be glorified in the way that we love each other, in the way that we live, in the way that we treat each other. The world will know that you are my disciples by the way that you love one another. One of the ways that we love each other is by keeping each other accountable. I don't even know how to pray for you this week. I'll be honest with you. Normally at the end of every week, I, I say, this is how I'm praying for you this week. I pray, you know, a couple weeks ago, I, was, I pray that you, uh, you know, find someone and rejoice with them. Find someone and mourn with them. Find someone and just be with them. Be this community. I, I don't know how to pray for you this week other than to say, make sure your heart's in the right spot this week. That if the opportunity does come, and you need to, to go and talk to someone in the church and say, listen, this is, this is what I'm seeing. And I'm trying to call you out of this. If the opportunity comes where you need to keep someone else accountable, that your heart is, first of all, in the right spot. So I guess my prayer this week for you is just that God would show you your heart. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God. Test me, Psalm says, and see if there is anything in there that shouldn't be there. Paraphrase. That's an archer paraphrase right there of a psalm. That's my prayer for you this week. That you, would, that you would begin to be convicted on the ways in which maybe you need to be held accountable. And if that is you and you feel like, I need to be held accountable, this also works the opposite way. You can walk up to someone else in the church and say, listen, I'm struggling with this. I need you to help keep me accountable. Accountability goes both ways. Let's pray today. God, we love you. God, we just give you praise this morning. We give you thanks for who you are, for all you've done. God, we are, uh, as we keep talking and going deeper into these practices, they get kind of harder and harder to talk about. But God, as we just keep going deeper, would you keep encouraging us? Would you keep pushing us along? Would you keep uh, shaping us and directing us, maturing us into the image of your son, Jesus? That's the end goal, God. Through all of these practices that we would look more and more like Jesus every day. God, this week, would you go ahead of us? Would you go with us? Would you be in our conversations, be in our workplaces, be in our homes? That the people we talk to would, would see you in us? That we would make a difference in our community, wherever we may find ourselves? God, we thank you for your love and for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? If you're new, we end, we end this service every week in the same way. We just ask you to hold your hands out and just receive a blessing from God. So let me pray this blessing over you. God, may our God, God of grace and peace and love, may he remind you of what he's done for you. May he remind you of his forgiveness and grace that is freely available to you. 
May he remind you of the ways in which you need to be accountable. May he lead you to keep others accountable in a gentle spirit. Go in the grace and peace of our God and Father. In the name of his son Jesus and the power of the spirit. Amen. Amen. Go in peace today.